This is the 3D Pod, your number one source for 3D printing news, analysis, and insight from 3dprint.com. Now, here are your hosts, Joris Peels and Maxwell Bogue. Hello, everyone. My name is Joris Peels, and this is another episode of the 3D Pod. And with me, as always, is Maxwell Vogue. Hi, Max. Hey, Joris. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. Is yeah? anything fun and new going on with you? <laughs> nothing, nothing. I went to my sister's wedding, so that was a big thing. And Ooh, uh, uh, and then uh, after that, uh, you know, went to Holland and stuff, and now I'm back in Spain. So so everything's going well. Oh, look at you traveling around. Yeah. <laughs> and who do we have on the 3D pod today? Well, we've got Charles uh, Beavis today. Charles is really interesting because he spent a long time doing completely unrelated stuff than 3D printing uh, and uh, ended up now coming up with a different kind of powder bed fusion technology. So first off, uh, he worked on advanced barcode technology for a very long time and then decided to found Technica. And he's been working on that for eight years or nearly even nine years. And essentially, well, um, you know, the, the optics on lasers are either like you work at a Galvo. Or there's different ways of doing it, of course. And Charles has come up with a new way of doing it where he has essentially a rotating laser that is meant to kind of reflect yeah, a truer beam path in a completely different way, an ogone laser or something like that. And it's it's one of these startlingly, startlingly original ideas. And yeah, Charles is working on that. So, so welcome to the 3D Pod, Charles. Oh, thank you for having me. So first off, tell me a little bit about like, so before you were working in barcodes, that's, well, it's something <laughs> completely different, right? We, we, there are lasers in barcodes, right? So I understand. That's true. Scanning. Yeah. So how, you know, uh, <laughs> Let's talk barcodes. Yeah. Do you yeah. have QR codes? Or? <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, um, barcode scanning, uh, laser scanning. It's, it's much simpler form. Uh, back oh. in the day, uh, Jerome Schwartz from Symbol Technology came up with a patent where he sent a laser beam to a surface. Uh, the surface reflected the beam. You collect the beam with a sensor, and then you can distinguish between a a space and a bar, which is dark and, and spaces, and that's how barcoding uh, uh, made itself into the industry. Uh, the same technique, it's mean, I dealt with that uh, for many years with, uh, with handling the scanning and the analyzing the algorithms to, to decode the barcoding. But I've seen there is that he used a scanner, a mirror scanner that uh, basically is, is it's rotating, oscillating from side to side and send the beam to the surface and then collect the beam back. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's my experience, uh, that, which is in a nutshell, not much with regards to optics, uh, just the, the mechanism. And I was more on the side of uh, designing the algorithms and the software to to decode that barcode and bring it into into a, a form that uh, can be used in uh, for, for scanning. So that's, uh, that's the background with regard to, to barcoding and, and optics. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, you mentioned advanced barcode technology. Advanced barcode technology is a company that I formed for the purpose of uh, doing automatic ID, ID, automatic identification uh, solutions, uh, in addition to also process control. And the two together, uh, with the two pieces together, we were able to provide uh, clients with solutions that uh, compose of uh, hardware and software. And then what made you end up in 3D printing then? Were you just like yeah. curious or? <laughs> At some point in time, we needed an enclosure for our, one of our uh, products. And uh, uh. that was in 2013. So the need was there. 
And we had some difficulties to find the proper enclosure because it needed to be IP65. And so, mm-hmm. so there were, it was, I could not just put a simple enclosure there. And there where we ended up in a trade show in uh, Chicago, uh, looking into the different machine and companies. And that's where I, I realized that, that there is something missing. Uh, we, we see these big machines. And when I'm talking about machines or 3D in this uh, podcast, we are talking about SLM, SLS, uh, Selective Laser Sintering or Selective uh, Laser Melting. And I've seen that those machines are very big and the print is very small. So something did not go right with uh, the optics. <laughs> So there, there were, <laughs> so there were uh, basically we made a decision, my partner and I, that we are stepping into this because we saw the opportunity, we got our enclosure and we saw the potential and we decided that based on what we have done in the past that we can uh, help this market and bring this product to the masses and even simplify the product. That's, mm-hmm. uh, that's the background to how we got into 3D. Was, I'm curious, was it almost instant that it hit you that this was like a problem when you saw the machines for the first time? Or was it not till you really started looking into them that you realized that this could be done in a much more effective and efficient way? I have not seen that at the beginning. I did not even know what the galvanometer is. I just saw a big machine and I saw a small, <laughs> a small print. All That's part. it. That was the beginning. <laughs> That's the problem. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and so I scratch my head and I say, well, why is that? Why a CNC can create a part relatively larger and an additive manufacturing machine cannot do the same? And that's where the, the, we started to look into that. And uh, yeah, because galvanometers come from smoke machines, right? And <laughs> so somebody decided at one point to use a smoke machine component to drive a 3D printer. I think that's even more strange. I think <laughs> so. So when, when when did you decide to 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 come up with a different kind of laser thing? Why did you decide not to go with Galva? When did you decide to? Was that from the beginning already that you decided to go with a different type of laser? Was that you know why why is that? The objective was to build a new machine. The smaller better. We did not know what, uh, how, how it's going to happen. We had the objective. Uh, in the process, uh, we came, I came across the galvanometer and I said, one second, what is that? How, where we get information? How accurate is this? What's the baseline? And mm-hmm. then, as you said, it was used for entertainment to, to some level. It's used for scanning. The, mm-hmm. And then it was adapted for writing. So we call that uh, reading or in writing. So when you read something with the galvanometer, you are basically seeking to get some information from where the galvanometer, where the beam is. When you are writing, you're doing the reverse. You send the beam and then you uh, you write into that specific location. And uh, although the, they are symmetrical in nature, the beam going or the beam uh, coming back, but the, the results are quite different when you analyze uh, the end results, what you are expecting in writing and what you are getting in sensing. And that's where I realized that there, there is something here that may need to be corrected. Okay, okay. Uh, for those uh, maybe unfamiliar, a galvanometer, essentially, it sounds really fancy, but it's like a, it's, it's the same component, by the way, in the Formlabs printers or early Formlabs printers. And it's essentially, it's a mirror on a swivel mount. I mean, that, I, I'm overly simplifying it, but that's kind of like what it does, right? But in a controlled <laughs> Way, right? yeah. like you can... uh, well, if I uh, describe it like in general, the, what I've seen from defining a galvanometer is that you have a beam that rotating and the focus is on a sphere. It's not a, on a flat 
area, and it's not on the flat plane. And because the sphere, the, the beam is, is focusing on the sphere, in order to achieve the maximum performance from a galvanometer, you need to print on a sphere. That's the basic issue that I had looking into the galvanometer. So what the industry has done, they start to patch the galvanometer by flattening that sphere. And one way to flatten that sphere is just make the radius very large, and then the large radius will be considered kind of flattening the field. And that's why, by the way, the printers has they are large because you are keeping that distance from the optics all the way to the to the print bed. So that that was the initial observation that that we have with the product. Uh, from our point of view, we looked at that and say, uh, one second, that's that uh, we don't want to put patches into the process, especially because when that beam is, is rotating and the beam is, uh, is uh, sintering or, or printing, then, uh, what's happening really is that the speed of the beam is changing on the print surface, even if the rotation is, a con- is in a constant speed. So now you have another variable that is changing. The beam speed is changing because the beam speed is changing. Also, the energy deposited is changing. So that's one other parameter that, that, that we saw that is problematic. The industry came up with a solution or that is a special lens that uh, changed the speed to be more uh, constant and they use what is called an F-theta lens. And when you put that lens uh, between the gulf and the print surface, that, that speed becomes uh, constant. So uh, we let, uh, and there are other other uh, functions that uh, you can add to this because that's not the only problem that you have with galvanometer. The second problem that you have it's called uh, telecentricity, which means that as you move the beam, the angle of the beam with the surface always changing. And if the beam, if the angle is changing, then also the beam size is changing. Also, the energy absorbed is changing. So we have few parameters that are changing with the standard gulf. And the way it's handled nowadays, there are three functions that goes into that special lens, that you need a special lens that gives you three functions. One is to flatten the the surface, the the, sphere, the spherical surface. The second is to make sure that the telecentricity is much close to normal. And the third is to keep the spin constant. So all of these together are embedded into one lens that composed of many, many lenses in, in the structure. And that's costing in many trades off. And that's, by the way, why you see different companies coming up with different systems and you have difficulties to compare. So that's, uh, that's what we have basically noticed for, uh, when we start to open that black box that's called galvanometer. And then, and I love this. So, what did you do to, to kind of to change this? What, what was your innovation then, or one of your innovations then, in, in, in trying to solve this problem? Well, I, I went back to basic. Uh, the basic is we are printing on a flat surface. I want to be focused on a flat surface. Let's get this object, objective done. So, I, uh, that's how I start thinking. Okay, okay, go on, yeah. And then, uh, then uh, I start thinking about optics. I also looked into, into the galvanometer. Another problem that I had with the galvanometer is it oscillates. It's not rotating, it's oscillating, which means accelerating and deaccelerating, going back and forth with that mirror. So you have wear and tear, and mechanically it's not a, a stable device that can be used for, uh, for a long time. 
I came from the electronic industry and and in electronics we the the the, the parts the i c s lead uh, have much longer lifespan and when you deal with mechanical system, usually they have shorter lifespan so I did not like that piece, and that's another piece that I wanted to change so I started from zero. I wanted to flatten a bit to flatten the the surface where the focus goes, and that's how I came up with the structure that composed of two mirrors only, only one mirror rotating, and the second mirror is just reflecting back to the surface so by definition, this structure optically delivers a focus beam to the surface. The structure is simple, however the 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 smart is in the mirrors themselves because now. We do not have lenses. The, the function of the focusing is made by the two mirrors, by the first rotating mirror and also by a second mirror. And that, I would say, the smart that went into this invention is the ability to focus uh, the beam only by mirrors. Okay, okay. I think I, I, it blew me away when I first saw it, by the way. When I first learned, um, I heard about this and read up on it, I was like, one thing, it was it's super ingenious, wonderfully done. And also it's like, Really, the guys at ScanLab, all these other guys didn't come up with this. You know, it's like it's it's insane. It's insane. No, no, that, that was my fear when I realized that that is as simple. It's a simple solution. It's only two mirrors, and it's giving you enormous speeds because you can the speed now is dictated by the distance between the two the two mirrors. The larger that that distance, the the higher the speed. So uh, there were so, so many advantages that I was always worried that my patent is not going to be granted on time and <laughs> somebody probably filed for that. That was my, my main worry. So. Yeah. I know that. Are you sure? Are you guys sure? Because it seems really obvious. Okay. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I get also that it's obvious for you coming from having done laser scanners where I assume, you know, at, a supermarket scanner, for example, barcode scanner, the mirror just constantly rotates. It, so you aren't having, as you described, that problem of slowing down and speeding up as you go left and right. You're just rotating and then scanning out. It's, uh, in some ways, it seems like you just took that and reapplied it to this. It's a great effect. Is that... Yeah, that's a good point because really the the USPTO, the uh, the United States Patent Office, really came up with that exact example that you mentioned. That they say, "Oh, your, your invention is very similar to to this guy that uh, that made this barcode," and uh, basically uh, the, then we, we and that was uh, that was interesting because I, I looked at that. I, I did not know it was patented, but when I looked into that closely, then I realized that that the, uh, what they've done is they use a polygon. Which means now you have few walls that uh, project the beams. They did not care about focus as much because uh, with barcoding you scan many scans and you, you hope that one of them will, will pick up the right pattern. And, but the, the issue with that system is that uh, that uh, the, the distance between the beam source to the to the work surface is always changing. Our system, the distance from the beam source to the work surface is always constant because we design it this way. And that's the main distinction between barcoding to this system. Okay, okay. And, and what does that even mean? Okay, so I think it's a really beautiful thing from a you know, pure innovation standpoint, right? So there's a length of the, the, the lifespan of the component. That seems good. What are the actual practical differences between doing this? You said you want a smaller system, maybe more accurate. What are the actual differences that you can do you know, uh, day to day? 
first, the distance between the optics to the workspace uh, is it, controllable. We, uh, we can put into the design any distance that we want. Specifically, if we talked about the, talking about the CASA 2, where we implemented the design, uh, the distance is about 70 millimeters. So now we have a distance between the optics to the workspace of 70 millimeters. This is an advantage. Compare this to a 500 millimeter or more that the industry is using. So now you are talking about a, a printer that it's a desktop printer. It doesn't have to take half of a room. Uh, so that that's one advantage. The second advantage that, that, that we have is the environmental advantage. The print chamber, because the way how we, we print, our print chamber has only 11 millimeter uh, high. It's only 11 millimeter height. And because of that, we can regulate the temperature in this chamber much easier than if you take 500 millimeter high chamber. So that's, uh, that's right off the bat. If you look at the, at the machine, it does have these environmental properties that, and it's much more closer to what my objective was to make a machine that, that print a, a relatively larger print than, than the, the small print that you get with a standard technology. The way it's supposed to be. <laughs> so you started all this, uh, you saw this in 2013, and then you, what, you reached your first patent in 2016, 2017? I believe that 2015, 2016, we, 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 the patent was granted to, in 2016, I, I believe. And then we follow up with more patents. But then you started, like, when was your first prototype and proof of concept uh, introduced to the world? Uh, well, I, I would say not to the world, to us. Uh, we, we, uh, the way how I work is what, it's not a typical startup, if you take a look. Uh, uh, usually a startup come with an idea, with, uh, with PowerPoint presentation, and then the product will follow. Uh, I did work a bit differently with this because uh, of the patents, and, uh, and I kept everything in low profile until uh, about a year ago. When we have done this, uh, basically, uh, we, we follow uh, an, uh, the idea that, okay, we can if I can create this mirror, then, then a lot of, of uh, products can f follow and different vertical markets can, can benefit from that. And so therefore I said, I want a good proof of concept. Uh, I could not, uh, I did not feel comfortable having other companies looking into this and trying to, to, to build a proof of concept. Also from a, a, an investment point of view, if you are seeking investment, then uh, you need to bring uh, the proof of concept already to the table. And that's what we have done. The, we went through stages. We did three prototypes. The very first prototype was to, to, to prove the concept that a beam can be a can be moved in the in constant speed, that the, the, the mechanics work very well without the focusing. And then in 2018, in May of 2018, we had our prototype where we printed in 2D and 3D, and we confirmed the accuracy of the system. And that was within the limitation of what we had. And, and that, that was like a big moment because at that time we confirmed that, that the beam is moving with the same focus constantly with the optics that we designed for that and that we basically order we order optics we put it together and wow the, we got the focus and that that was a big moment when did you guys decide to show the world that you had this amazing new 
better way of doing SLS? Well, it, it just started a few years ago when we realized uh, that, that uh, A, that uh, the patents are, uh, has been accepted in, not only in the U.S., but in many other countries. Uh, we have three patents in China. We have uh, three patents in Israel. We have uh, three patents in Brazil. Uh, so, so we have patents all across uh, the, the globe. But beside the patents, I would take it uh, an extra step. Uh, when we did the design, we also uh, had to design the electronics around that. So from IP point of view, it's not only the, the optics, it's how, what makes the optics run. And at that time, we could not find a laser that is fast enough to accommodate our scanner. So we designed our own modulator for, la for laser. As in a comparison, for, for instance, if you take a, modu a, a modulator, a, a scanner now, uh, it's limited to 5,000 hertz, which is about, about 5,000 uh, pixels per second. And some may claim that they can deliver 50,000 per second. Our scanner is capable of 250,000 pixels per second. So that, that's a, a huge difference. And we, there are more advantages to the system, and the show is too short for that. But if you like, I can go there as well. A little bit higher level. I mean, I understand first you're like, okay, you're 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 self-funding this completely, right? So it's Correct. not a standard startup where you're doing it before, right? So, but then you know, aren't you going very far into the woods of making the system before actually having something uh, on the market or having something to, uh, you know, how does that work? Well, uh, I would I would call this passion first. I have a passion for for, for what I do. So uh, the business objective, as for other companies, is oh, get this to market. Let's start to. To, mm -hmm. uh, to, to distribute this. Uh, uh, we are thinking differently, of course. Uh, we like to do that, but th that will require much, uh, a lot of capital. And uh, so what we do is we do what, uh, what feels right for us, which is growing uh, naturally and s in small steps. However, with the right partner, we'll do that. If we have the right partner, we'll go and, 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 and bring the, the, the product quickly to, to the companies that can use it. And, and how far along are you right now? So you said a little bit about where you are right now, but like, like, what can you do right now in the demonstration units you have? Uh, what we have right now is, is a printer and uh, that, that can print in 2D and 3Ds. And uh, we, we are ready to pilot it. What uh, what we are working on is is to have the, also this printer be, being available for the masses within three months. And, and what, what is that then? Because <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, so 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 what's that? What's that? Tell us more about that. Again, we are a technology company. We develop something that we believe is great, and we like to make it available. And one way to do this is to build a printer. So we built a printer, and now that this printer will be ready for the consumers uh, to use. I would say that we open also the door for a consumer. So now it doesn't have to go to business because of the size of the printer. You can, uh, it's UPSable. You can have it in your garage. So that's, uh, that, that's open a, a whole new market. And, and how, how do you hope to put this on the market? Because that, of course, would require an, an additional investment as well. Are you looking for partners for that, or do you want to self-fund that as well? Or? Of, of course. Uh, we like to collaborate with, with companies, uh, A, to, to make uh, the, this technology accessible, and, and B, to, to, 
to have the, the product out there. Uh, with the right partner, we, we like to, to work with the right partners and we are welcoming uh, partners. Uh, at the moment, even, we, we discuss uh, s- uh, solutions with, with, with certain companies. Some companies, oh, can, can come to us and say, okay, oh, can you replace the whole Gulf system with your system while using uh, our printer, the existing printer? Technically, it's possible, but uh, I believe that uh, the, it can go in two ways. One is the OEM uh, avenue, which we are mm-hmm. looking at, and the other is, is the avenue where we're uh, selling the, the printers. With regards to OEM, I think that the, the potential is, is, is there because if you take, uh, as an example, you can take our printer, which, by the way, it's portable, uh, which mm-hmm. means because of the distinction, when we print the arc, later on we move the actuator. So there is, uh, it cannot be disturbed by, by movement. And if mm-hmm. it cannot, then you can put the printhead on a robot with a reach of about one meter or two meters. A robot has a repeating error of 50 micron. And then mm-hmm. you can create stripes of prints mm-hmm. and end up with a 100 micrometer repeating error print in a size of a meter. So that's, that's okay. one OEM application can, that, that I can see happen. That's okay. cool. Uh, that, that would be amazing. And also very difficult to do, of course, with the heated chamber and the recoding and all this stuff. And all that. But, yeah. but, but, but again, that would be very exciting. And I think, I think um, do you see, like, what are the kind of yields you're getting or how fast is it? I know this is a really silly question because all these printers work very differently. There's no real... <laughs> You know, there's no, we don't have a megapixel, but but it gives a little bit of idea how productive the system is when compared to like, you know, the, the P110s that we all know and love. Uh, the way how I gauge this is basically is looking at the baseline. And, and that's how I've done when we, when we started. Uh, a, a galvanometer has a limit in, 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 in the speed movement, uh, but also there are limits within the process. Uh, when we look into the... Theoretical limits, how fast you can run a, a gallop and how much you can run our system, the ratio is about 65 times. We are much faster by at least 50, 65 times. That's the capability of the system. The specific system, the CASA 2, we implemented a lower speed than that. If we are talking about the first unit, the first unit will be comparable to the fastest uh, printer out there in the market. However, the, the capability is there to deliver 65 times faster print. And I, because I mentioned the process, the, the, there is another thing that's happening here. Because the, the present system is dealing with limitation in the print, the process was defined to, w- w- with some limitation. The, the end, in, for, for example, when you print a metal, metal you, you, you are creating a, a hatches and, and you... you you design the print so you'll have enough uh, conductivity that it's sufficient not to burn the metal, just in, in a nutshell. And, and the, the piece that the, the industry is worrying about or dealing with is that that beam that I talk, was talking about, changing the angle every time. And it doesn't make a difference how many patches you put in there. You are, you are going to get a change of the angle. If the beam angle is changing, the energy that that radiating or that, that uh, moving in conductivity in the metal can move in two directions. Either energy is displaced in the lateral direction or the vertical direction. And those two displacement uh, vectors are changing as you move the beam. So now you have a moving target that you need to adapt for each pixel, each voxel that you are going to print. 
In our system, we don't have it. What we have, we have a vertical beam that goes always down. So most of all of the energy is always going in one direction. And because of that, it's my, we reduce the number of parameters when it comes to, to dealing with a, a energy consistency in the process of printing a whole metal layer, for instance. So that's, the, so what I'm trying to say is that we created a new environment that will be redefining the process how you do 3D printing with metals. It's, it's nice for you to keep this close to the chest. It's nice for you to say this is a hobby thing and I'm going to work on developing <laughs> the technology. But you have said it before, you will require an enormous amount of money to do this. I mean, I think, wouldn't it be better to just license this to another company and go on inventing or something like that? Do you, do you, if, if, you know, wouldn't that just be a way forward? Or, or do you really feel like, like you, know, you know, going further into different platforms and different systems is the way forward? It's not a baby that I'm uh, that I have a direction yeah, exactly. for it. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, whatever helps the industry, whatever whatever uh, is good for collaboration, I'll, I'll do. I'll follow the the, the best path that uh, that will bring this to market, and it's based on the the VCs and and the and the strategy that the, the, they want to go with. Uh, mm. The potential is there, and I'm listening. And are there also advantages? I think because the, the the printhead works on both, you know, for metals and polymers and stuff like that, right? And presumably also uh, ceramics and stuff like that. But you know, are there intrinsic advantages to, to on metals as well? You said as as well that the directionality uh, could be an issue. Is it also could you make less stress on the metal part, for example? Are you seeing less deformation, for example, stuff like that. I believe yes, because. Uh Again, it's 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 in my opinion we did not test metal yet, but based on the theory, based on, on the way how it's function, uh, we are reducing the number of parameters, and and therefore uh, the, the the stress is going to be the the, the 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 causes for stress, the number of parameters that cause to that stress are are reduced, and by reducing them, we have a much more easier system to control. And that, that's, uh, th- that's right of the bat what I can say about our system and printing metal. Other piece mm-hmm. that I will add to this is that one of the issues with metals, with metal printing now, is that the beam that, that is used by the industry is, is a Gaussian beam, which means that the beam at the center is very, very, very uh, small. And then the energy starts to, to decrease as, as you, you get away from the center of the beam. Uh, this model is not great for metal printing because when you print metal, you, you are required by definition to have a higher heat conductivity by the metal. And if you don't have it, you are going to puncture the, the metal. One thing, one advantage that we have, because we don't use Gaussian beam, so we use a flat beam, and because of that, the energy is all distributed at the print area. And I believe that this system will be more forgiven for certain powder that their con- heat conductivity is not going to be so high. So mm. I believe it can open market for more, more uh, powder in the field of metal. Yeah, or, or you- metals that are like refractories or metals that have been a bit more complicated for us like so far maybe. That could be very exciting. And how have you been doing this? Because I think it re- it's really fun to see tinkering. You know, I could imagine you tinkering your own lab kind of thing. But at one point, <laughs> you know, to a certain extent, but at one point it gets really complicated, right? You have to drag in lots more people, right? 
Oh, absolutely. That's the key word. I could not do this by myself. Absolutely. Uh, when I started with this, I started, of course, with the patent. I had a company that I was running. It's mean, it was paying the bills. And uh, I started using the engineers that I have on the company already to to help with the process. If it's to build a prototype, if it's to to design the, the first mirrors, to send the mirrors for production, that, that, there is a lot involved. Uh, I think that uh, uh, my work in general, me personally, was in designing the, the mirrors. Uh, it took me more than a year to study ray tracing and to come up with the mirror. I did not want to do it, uh, just to give you an idea. I, I knew <laughs> what I wanted. <laughs> no, seriously, because I'm not an yeah, optical yeah. engineer. And, yeah. uh, let's start with this. So, so I'm not an optical engineer. I'm a fond believer that uh, you better do what you are good at. So, uh-huh. and that's what I was trying to do. So I had no other choice. I contracted, I subcontracted about six uh, optics experts in the field to make for me the mirrors, and I did not get uh, good results at all. So I had no other choice but to study optics. I knew there is a solution, and that, that, that's the great part about it. I knew there is a solution, and I believe that because I was an outsider to the optical field, I was able to come up with a solution. And here is why. An optic engineer will look into optics and into an image and say, I want to image that thing. I want to keep that image as is. I myself did not look at that this way. I did not look at the image and say, I want the same image to end up. I don't care. I, I want a dot. I want a focus. So I don't care if that focus is going to change the image because by the end of the day, you build, you render a, a, a picture with uh, many dots. So the dot doesn't have to be an image by itself. I don't think that makes sense. And because I thought this way, I was able to, to come up with a mirror formulas that will get me that very specific small dot that I was after. And that's, uh, that's I would say, that, 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 that was my biggest thing out of, of everything. That, that's what I got. That's my accolades from my point of view. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but I like the idea that, but so what made you continue? Because like, up until now, I thought this was like a super fun project for you to do. And then you kind of were very passionate, one of those like, you know, the people that just solve something. But so, so you're telling me this is not fun? <laughs> it, it is fun. Uh, it, it, it's fun. It's mean, it's fun. It's a different fun now. Uh, you mentioned the, the people. I could not do this without the people that I have in my team. And I have people that, that are working remotely on this. Uh, I have a great uh, embedded engineer. I have a great FPGA engineer because bear, bear in mind, if you, you cannot use a standard PLC for this. PLC is not a real-time system that can react in, in, in micro or nanosecond. So we mm-hmm. created a system that, 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 that interact within the micros and, and nanoseconds with, with the optics. And that's why mm-hmm. we have the ability to, to modulate the laser in very high speed. So these people made it. So I would say along the years, uh, we had about two dozen engineers involved in this project in different aspects Mm -hmm. of the project. Yeah, I I think it's wonderful. I think it's a wonderful story. But I think also we saw this before uh, with certain technology. If you're doing something a little bit different, then the the go to market is really the the challenging thing. So 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 you know if you're looking forward now you're at the cusp of maybe commercializing this thing. What do you hope to achieve in like the next five years? Say. 
I want to see the, the, the printer deployed with a lot of collaboration. Uh, I believe that uh, the, that uh, the mentality of uh, black box uh, sh- sh- should not be followed, like uh, the industry is following the, the black box uh, mentality with it, when it comes to galvanometer, so everybody try to fix something. And, and, and therefore, there is a, a, an issue with regard to a universal way of representing something. And to be clear on this is each printer out there, if you want to validate the print, you need to validate the print, the print itself and the process. We are talking here about, about a, a new market. The additive uh, manufacturing has additional complexity if you compare it to subtractive uh, manufacturing. In subtractive manufacturing, you get a raw material where the microstructure is well defined. Additive manufacturing, you are going from powder, which is solid, then to a liquid and back to solid. So the microstructure has been modified by the, by the additive manufacturing. And if you want to, to qualify your parts, if, uh, then, then you need to address this piece. Each printer nowadays is creating a different microstructure, even within the printer itself. If you place the part in different parts of the print bed, you get different microstructure forever. For the print, so I would say that uh, I, I like to see that the, a more universal way of communicating in this market, where we put some universal standards, even the way how the the, the part is defined, in a way that you can go back and keep an audit trail with what you have done and what you wanted to do. Yeah, that, that can be really, really very exciting. Okay. Well, thank you so much. This is a really fascinating story. I think really, really kind of like steadfastly trying to develop this uh, with this small team. I think it's absolutely fantastic. And and I hope we see a lot more of this because I think it's uh, really wonderful what you guys are doing. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, no, I'd love to be back on the show and hear where it goes from here. Yeah, I think we're very excited. I think we're very excited to see how, how that would go. And uh, yeah, so thank you. And thank you for being here today with Max as well. Always. Yeah, fascinating. And thank you for listening. Uh, this is another episode of the 3D Pod. My name is Joris Peels. Have a great day. You've been listening to the 3D Pod. For more information on what you just heard or to subscribe, visit www.3dprint.com or follow us at 3dprint.com.